good morning. Um, so you don't really have to deal with much of the shaky nerves and everything that 930 had to deal with. So this should be a really good smooth service for us today. <laughs> um, like Pastor said, uh, you know, looking back, yes, we were, you know, one of the first people that he knew here in Davenport, but just in what eight years has really done for just us as a church from going from, like I said, at 930, 12 to 14 people in a living room on Thursday nights to just, I mean, two buildings. It, this doesn't happen for everybody. I mean, this is just miraculous works of God. And as we, we touch here in Philippians, Paul's really going to bring forth the fact that he has this great resume of all his, his earthly inheritance, all his, his works that he's done. Like, like Miss Alina says on, on Tuesday, she, she brings up the Christian checklist of things that she's done that, you know, it, it means nothing. You know, it, what we do, <laughs> but, hey, but, hey, like, like Billy May says, but wait, there's more. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> But, but no, seriously, it's, it's not about what we do. It's about what God's done, what God's doing, what, what he has for us. And, and looking back at the eight years, like this, this, is our, this is our road to Damascus. This is our miracle. This is our, our divine intervention with what God's doing in this church. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing because there's a lot of people that go, go to church in in different buildings that have been going for decades and not saying that God doesn't move there, but it is so evident in this building, in this body that you just, you just can't deny it. And I'm just thankful that, I mean, a guy like me, he's included me in the process. So, um, <clears throat> going forward, um, obviously I really just want to thank everybody for coming. I know it's a, a holiday weekend. It was raining this morning, so you might have to mow when you go home for the first time since March. Um, but no, thank God for rain. I mean, Midwest, we, get, we got sweet corn to look forward to, so we got to get that growing. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's, just, uh, let's just open our hearts, open our ears, and just let's see what God has for us as we pray for this uh, message to go forward this morning. Lord, we just thank you once again for just... The rain you've provided for the growth in this area, Lord, we just thank you so much as it's just much needed. Lord, we just ask that you uh, open our hearts, let us be receptive, open our ears, and God, I just, I just pray that the words that you have for me to deliver this morning just really, uh, really encourage everybody and just give them that, that reassurance that it's not what we do, what we can accomplish, but Lord, it's what you've already accomplished. And that we cannot hold a candle towards it. But God, I just pray that you're with my words going forward. And you're with the hearts in the reception. In Jesus' name, amen. So, <clears throat> I will start by just reading the passage. Um, like I said at 9.30, I, the way I read is I read through the Christian Standard Bible. I'm sorry, I'm public schooled. Um, that's just easier for me to understand. So, um, like I said earlier... It's not by the King James we're saved. It's by the blood of Christ. So it's 
whichever way God wants to speak to me that I understand it, I'll let him do it. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and read uh, Philippians 3, 1 through 14. <clears throat> it says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I once also had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So going through here, it really, really convicted me to understand that it's nothing that we can do and accomplish that can hold a flame to what Christ has already done. So let's go ahead and dissect this passage down starting with verse number one. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you. It's, it's, really, it's really weird how this is the smack dab middle of this letter to the church of Philippi, but yet he begins this with finally. As we all know that have been here numerous times, when Pastor Joel says, finally, you got about another 20 minutes. It's going to be a little while. So finally doesn't necessarily mean finally, but it perks your ears up. It's just human nature. But like it says here, it says, finally, my brothers, it's an attention getter. It's making you pay attention to say, hey, what I'm about to say is very, very important. And when he goes on to say here, he says, rejoice in the Lord. If I can tell you anything, if you notice in all these letters that, that Paul has written to the different churches, it always begins 
somewhere what they call, you know, like the biblical openings or the, the often overlooked words to open up chapters. Like uh, in the first uh, chapter of Philippians, you got the first chapter of Galatians, first Thessalonians, second Corinthians, all have grace be to you and peace from God. That's important. It's reassuring. Grace be to you and peace from God. You need that. That is your reassurance. And just like here, it says, rejoice in the Lord. So let each chapter, as Paul has here, as you go forward, the chapters of your days, start it with rejoicing in the Lord. Because you have so much to rejoice in. Like I just mentioned, with everything that this church has been through and all the miraculous works that God's done, rejoice. Don't forget. Because it's when you forget is when you become vulnerable. So start your day with the rejoicing. So I think everyone here needs to start each chapter of their own life with rejoicing in the Lord as a constant reminder to ourselves as to where our joy really comes from. And then goes on to say, to write to you again about this is no trouble for me. Which is a great reminder for us as we daily need reminded that we can find joy in everything that comes our way. Make it no trouble to be there for somebody else. As we talk in our connection groups on Tuesday, we often talk about the same prayer requests that are brought to the table until God has intervened or till a resolution is, has come. It's no trouble to keep bringing those up. It's to reassure you that God's still working. So rejoice and know that it's not a burden to bring this up. It's not a burden to be there for one another. It's not a burden to repeat ourselves as often as scripture is repeated at the beginning of a lot of chapters. So it's also a good reassurance because we know that God is in control and we are not. Easier said than done, but that is also, like I say, why it's no trouble. I myself begin each day in prayer when I first get into my vehicle each morning. And I remind myself exactly where my joy will come from. Because I don't need reminded where my heartaches and my trials come from. They're going to show themselves evident enough. But if I reassure myself where that joy is... I'll face the trials all day long. I don't, I don't need the, the trials and the heartache and everything to take, take hold of my life when I know that I have the joy. I have the companionship. I have the reassurance and security of God each day. He then goes on in the second verse with a warning. It says, watch for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. So, what Paul is referring to, in biblical times, dogs were considered unclean animals. In this context, Paul is using the reference of dogs and evil workers as false unclean teachers that presently portray the works gospel, the Christ plus th stuff that you often see of, well, salvation's so easy to just say, you know, it's, it's a free gift of, of God and the trust and faith of, of what he's done for me. But there needs to be more. No, remove yourself from it. It's all what Christ has done. 
It's not what you bring to the table. It's what Christ already set on the table. So Paul had an ongoing issue with the Judaizers, which is who Paul is talking about as the mutilators of the flesh in this reference to circumcision. The word Judaizer comes from a Greek verb meaning to live according to Jewish customs. At the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, a group of Judaizers opposed Paul and Barnabas. Some men who belonged to the, par to the party of the Pharisees insisted that the Gentiles could not be saved unless they were first circumcised and obeyed the law of Moses. Paul made the case that in Christ, there was no longer any distinction between Jew and Gentile. For God purified the hearts of the Gentiles by faith. Acts 15, 8 through 9 reads, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. And he said it plainly in Galatians 2.16, A man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have to put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one is justified. It doesn't matter how good you think you've done. Everyone here is, has sinned. Everyone here has broken any law, whether it be man's law, God's law. We are all guilty. And it is only by faith and the finished works of Christ that any of us can be justified. Going on in verse 3, Paul says that we are the circumcision. We are the ones who have it right. We are the ones who serve the Spirit of God and boast only in Christ Jesus and what he's done and not put our confidence in the works of the flesh. Paul goes on from this point to present his earthly resume, his bloodline inheritance, his checklist, as we mentioned at the beginning of the message, for what qualifies him to have a righteous standing before God. Paul goes on and says, Although I once had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Based on the law of Moses, Paul is the only one that could be qualified to, to have that righteousness of God. And it is with these next few qualifications that Paul goes on to list that will show you that it, if it came down to it, it's Paul all day long. So he begins to list all the things that would qualify him for a righteous standing with God if it were based off of fleshly effort. So in verse number five, it goes on and says, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee. So let's break this down into sections for all these qualifications. Number one, circumcised on the eighth day. So people today would ask, why was it so strictly important that it had to be the eighth day? What made the eighth day so important that that's when circumcision had to happen? When I researched this and I was going through my commentary, the clarity of creation 
it, it, it's mind-blowing. And I'm going to get into it here to know, to really elaborate what I mean by that. But if you think that your trials in your life don't matter to God, to know how your body works and how he cares for that, you should know that your trials are well taken care of if you, re if you rest in Christ. So I'm going to go here and I'm going to really elaborate in on this circumcision on the eighth day. Granted, no pictures, just letting you know that now. I don't want, I don't, y'all got lunch next. I don't need really visual aids or anything else for the circumcision. <clears throat> so when I was really researching this, it really made it clear. It says that the human body has two clotting elements. One of them is called vitamin K. Vitamin K is not formed in the body until the fifth to seventh day. The second clotting factor, which is essential, is called prothrombin, which is, surprisingly enough, develops to about 30% of normal by the third day of life. And after that, it will peak at 110% of its capacity when? The eighth day. So, just before leveling off at 100% of normal. So just know that if vitamin K is not present when a baby boy is circumcised, the child will bleed to death. Just think of the Old Testament days. God knew what was important for your health. God knew the perfect time for you to be circumcised according to his law. So if he knew when you were going to be okay to clot, he knew when you were going to be okay in your trial. And he knows that along the way, he's with you if you invite him to be, if you rest in him to be. So the reason why God established day eight for circumcision is that with the vitamin K peaking in a newborn at eight days of age, the eighth day is the optimum day for circumcision because of the highest presence of the factor of vitamin K and prothrombin. Today, when baby boys are circumcised within a couple days of birth, they're administered a shot of vitamin K to advance their levels so that the clotting takes place. So once again, through the medical research, and biblical facts are intertwined, proving creation. Number two, Paul goes on to say that he is of the nation of Israel and of the blood of the tribe of Benjamin. We all have been told about the 12 tribes of Israel, Benjamin being the last one. Why does he emphasize being of the bloodline of Benjamin? Saul, the first king, comes from the bloodline of Benjamin. He is of the bloodline of royalty. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He is two for two so far. He then goes on to say that he is the Hebrew of Hebrews because he's two for two regarding the law that it says. His last bit of qualification goes on in verse 6, says, 
regarding zeal, like regarding his works, regarding who it was, he persecuted the church. He did as the law says. He persecuted anybody that went against what was taught in the law of Moses. He killed more Christians than he was, than you could ever imagine, really. So, in that, he was made blameless, as it says here in verse 6. So, verse 7 through 9, it goes on to say, But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. So in this, Paul is humbling himself, saying if anybody had a righteous standing with God, of their own fleshly works, it's me. But I count it all as filth. His whole life's legacy, his bloodline, his, his checklist, garbage. Means nothing compared to knowing Christ. So Paul goes on in verse 10 that his goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, basically saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know him more. Not settling for knowing him enough. He wants more, as we all should. We should all never settle for just knowing Christ. We can always be stronger. There's always so much more. And the further we go to build our relationship with Christ, the more he has for us. Not in a selfish mindset, but in a reassuring, love, loving mindset. Don't get complacent. Always look for more. So in knowing Christ more, it brings intimacy as your refuge with knowing that you're not going to come out of it without him. A lot of the times in our Tuesday night group, everybody knows that when we start to get on the, on the topic of trials, I, I love it. I, I, I live for it because for some reason I'm just programmed so weird that I love trials. And everybody here is like, why, why do you love trials? Why do you love transgression? Because it's in those trials that God is growing me. It's in those trials that God has something for me. If I didn't have trials, I would think God is done with me. He has nothing for me. But knowing that he has something to teach me, resting in my trials gives me the confidence in knowing going forward that there's so much more for me. I love trials. Trials are the biggest 
blessing that you don't know you have. I'm not saying go out there right now and look for them, but just know when they show up, here we go. There's so much more. You're going to learn something. You're going to help somebody. You're going to go through something that somebody else is not going to know what to do with. And only you are going to be able to show what God did for you in that trial so that they can have the reassurance that if they trust God and give it to him, they too will come out ahead as I have. So verse 12 through 14 go on to say, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So this gives me so much encouragement to know that even the one who has seen Christ face to face and experienced his miraculous power still doesn't feel complacent in where he's at with his relationship. He still feels like he has so much more to give to Christ. Even though Christ took it upon himself and made time personally for Paul on the road to Damascus, he's like, I can do better. I can solidify my relationship more. There's more for me with Christ. If Paul is not comfortable in his relationship with Christ yet wanting more, what gives us the complacency with where we're at? That motivates me to know God's got so much more. I've recognized the miraculous works of God in my life and to know that he has more, I am so unworthy of it. But I am so excited for it. So, reading through this whole passage of Christ plus, which is the common misconception of salvation, that you can earn your own way through inheritance, through your own checklist of works, through your own attributes for what you feel that you deserve, your good enough mentality, it, it reminded me of a certain uh, situation that happened, which I'm going to humble myself here soon, that it's going to sound blasphemy, but it, stick with me through the analogy. Um, this passage of Christ mixed with earthly resume qualifications reminds me of an instance that happened at my house during a, uh, a dinner that I invited a family over for. Uh, the Wiggins came over to my house uh, one Saturday afternoon, I think it was, or Sunday. Uh, that's neither here nor there. But we do these things called BYOSs. It's called bring your own steaks. I'll br you bring your steak. I'll cook it up. I promise it's going to be the most tender thing. This is where I'm humble, okay? It's going to be the best thing you're ever going to eat. Promise you. Bring it to me. Trust me with your beef. It's going to be good. And... 
you know, they did, okay, what can I bring? What can I do? You know, all that. Everything was going great. It was going phenomenal. And anybody that grills steaks or anything will know that there's one thing that you never want to hear. And I got text that. My phone goes off and I look at it and I go, oh boy. It says, do you have A1 sauce? I'm like, come on. Like, no. No, no, no. You don't need A1 sauce for my steaks. Don't add to it. My flavor, phenomenal. It's going to melt in your mouth. It's going to be good. No, no, we don't have A1 sauce. I said, if you want it, bring it on your own, but I'm not, I'm not providing it. That's, that's blasphemy in my house. You let the beef speak for the beef, okay? Humble. It's coming, trust me. Um, but I finished growing up the steaks. They brought, you know, they brought them over. I, I cooked them right, allegedly, without the sauce. But we put them on the plate. Everybody's getting ready to eat. We uh, obviously bless the food and get ready to eat. And I look over, and the A1 sauce is actually for their son, CJ. And he grabs it. And I am, I am per speaking of persecution, I am killing him with my eyes. I'm like, how dare you? You are going to ruin my meat. Pours it out, nice big puddle on his plate. And I'm just cringing. And I'm like, he's cutting, dipping. I'm like, stop it. I'm like, just, just try it without it. You don't need to add it. He goes, but that's how I always ate. I mean, the Wiggins were sitting here at 930 and I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. I don't know if you don't know how to cook a steak or what, but you know, but listen, you don't need it with my steaks. And I mean, at this point I'm telling CJ, I'm like, listen, dude, okay. Wiggins can come over. CJ's got to stay home. Like, it, never, never again. I don't, he's not even allowed to put salt on popcorn in my house anymore. I don't know. But, so, he's about halfway through his steak with that on it. And I just stop him. I'm like, can you just try it without it? You don't need to add it. Just, just try it without. He goes, but I like it. It's what I use on my steaks. I'm like, take a bite. He takes a bite. Once again, humble later, best steak he's ever had. He goes, well, I've never had a steak taste like this. He goes, well, I don't need A1 with this. I'm like, no, duh. I said, don't bring that to my house. He goes, oh, I'll never have A1. I've never had your steaks. I've only had mom and dad's steaks. I can say that because they're here or, or they, they're not here for that matter. But the thing is, is this stuck out to me so much when I was prepping for this message because how often are we putting our own A1 steak sauce on Christ's salvation? It's the perfect steak. Oh, A5 Wagyu. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Let it speak. Let it, let it take control. Just because you think it'll be better if you dabble in it with A1 sauce? No. No. Christ is the perfect steak. You don't need to bring your earthly A1 to add to it, thinking that you can make it better. It is perfect the way it is. Let it take hold of your life. Let it speak volumes. And at that point, I will tell you, oddly enough, with the holiday, 
We have another BYOS tonight. More to come. We'll see if it takes hold. We'll see if CJ backslides, okay? We'll see if it happens. But he should know because he's experienced a good stake. I've experienced good news. We all can. That news is always good enough for me. My news is never good enough for that. So going forward, like, yes, like I said, I will be humble, but it, off, it also, as I was finishing up the preparation for this sermon, I was listening to a podcast and he brought up what they call the candy apple reference. So who here likes candy apples or caramel apples for pumpkin patches? Tony does. Perf oh, tons of you. Perfect. So everybody knows that the, the, the caramel apples, it's, it's sweet. It's got candy on it. It's got caramel. It's the Butterfinger, the Reese's. I mean, it's got everything. And it has apple. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's there eventually when you get to it. But everybody's heard... What do you, what do you, what's the first thing you, that pops into your head when somebody says apple? Apple a day keeps the doctor away. I promise you, a candy apple a day will not keep that doctor away. <laughs> it's going to max out your dental coverage. It's going to max out your blood sugar. What that candy and what the the caramel and all that represents is what we think can improve that apple. What we think is best for that apple. But what does that do? It counterbalances all the nutritional value of what that apple really had for us. If you just left the apple alone, it's beneficial for your body and your health. But just because you're not settled enough for it and you think you can make it better, it's no longer healthy for you. And that is a perfect reminder of what your works attribute to Christ's death. Christ's death is perfect by itself. But the minute you think you need to add to it, ruins it. Because he's done way more and abundant than we could ever do. Let that nutritional value of the apple benefit your body without you thinking you need to work to make it better. Just know, and I will speak for myself on this one, only because of historically speaking, anything that I think I can improve, I make worse. Anything, any shortcuts I think I can take in fixing a car breaks another piece that I got to replace. I'm breaking bolts where I think I can just, yeah, I'll go around this and do this. Shortcuts are nothing. Do it as it's intended. Do it as scripture is intended. Understand that it's only Christ. Like Pastor Jacob said in our second song, Christ alone. Steaks alone. Apples alone yes if it ain't broke don't fix it 
and this will never break. So this has reminded me it's, it's not Christ plus anything. It's Christ, period. That's it. You can't improve Christ. You can write it in cursive, make it pretty, but you're not adding nothing to it. Christ will always be enough, just by himself. Even Paul, with the resume that he has, in counting all that he has done and earned and checked off, is filth. I know I've got nothing that I got to offer. If everything that Paul has is garbage, what do I got? What do you got? No offense, calling anybody out, but you got nothing. Like the book of Isaiah says, our works are but filthy rags. So when you need the reassurance of knowing that maybe I need to do better, let that be in the sanctification process of growing you as a believer. But don't rely on it as the works to get you to heaven. That's done. Let's pray.